117 tonight. Psalm 117. If you've already been looking at this psalm over the week, you'll, uh, you'll already know we're coming to the, uh, the shortest psalm and the shortest chapter in the Bible. We have a two verse psalm here tucked between Psalm 116 and, and 118. Um, it's a psalm that seems like it's uh, yeah, maybe a psalmist grabbed a couple of verses out of two other psalms and decided to put it together and just make it one. I mean, it just seems like it's uh, uh, a, a repetitious um, um, little psalm here. Um, as I was getting ready to leave this morning, Lily had asked me what I was thinking about with Psalm 117, and she said, well, the last one you preached, you said the whole Bible was in that psalm, so you think it's in these two verses? And uh, she was being a little facetious there. Um, and uh, the answer is no, the whole Bible's not in Psalm 117. But Psalm 117 um, does draw our attention towards something that we don't always prioritize the way that we should. So let's let's read it, and then we'll talk about it. Psalm 117. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. For His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Now, first, and, and this is just by way of overview, first, Psalm 117 is one of those psalms that um, doesn't make a lot of sense in a Hebrew Bible. And by that, I don't mean vocabulary. Notice verse 1. Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. Okay, and in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul spends most of that chapter talking about how this mystery of the gospel was revealed to him and that God had opened up this mystery to him that both Jews and Gentiles would come to God in one body through Christ. To a Hebrew mind, and we don't really know, it's, it's thought that Psalm 117 was written sometime after the, uh, the exile, to the, maybe the return, uh, the Babylonian exile. Uh, but we don't know for sure. But this idea that all the nations would be praising the Lord, that all the people would be praising the Lord for what? Well, for His merciful kindness. That's the same word used for God's covenant loyalty, His covenant love toward His people. How in the world are all nations going to do that? Because God's covenant is with the Jews. Why? Because His faithfulness, the word there for truth, we've talked about this several times now, but the word there for the truth of the Lord endures forever, it's, uh, it's speaking about His character. It's, it's His faithfulness, His steadfastness, is, is, it's forever. And so praise ye the Lord. So what this psalm really highlights for us 
as we think about why would why would the Lord include a little two verse psalm like this? It, it really highlights the the priority of praise as far as God is concerned. God's um, the 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 end goal to God's plan of salvation is that all people from all nations, now we're thinking about this in general terms, we're not talking about every single individual, but, but without cultural boundaries, God would receive praise from men and women who have been redeemed from their sin. This is a big deal with God. Um, we talked about this with Psalm 115, but let's let's just get a Another reminder, God's highest priority is His glory. Okay, If you, if you were to, to go through Scripture and you were to try to discern what is it that matters most to God, it's His glory. He tells us in Isaiah 42, verse 8, that He will not give His glory to another. He will not give His glory or His praise, and, and it's used there kind of in synonymous ways. He will not give His glory to another or His praise to graven images. Okay, now that, that gives us an idea of God's priority of praise. It's a big deal for Him. In, in Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Again, it's another one of these statements that breaks through or, or, or just is a, is a reminder at the, uh, of course it wasn't written with chapters, but for us at the end of a thought here that all things are of Him. All things happen through Him and all things are happening or headed toward Him. They're to Him. They're for His glory. To whom be glory forever. We, we, uh, uh, you remember this out of Ephesians chapter one. It happens several times where Paul cuts in with this little remark after he talks about some of the blessings that we've received in Christ. And we received those blessings that we might be to the praise of his glory. And then we remember at the very end of Ephesians chapter 3, as Paul is talking about this mystery of the Gentiles being brought in, the gospel that both Jews and Gentiles would come to God in one body through Christ, he gets to the end in verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. 
So if, if God is prioritizing, or if God does prioritize His glory, what does that mean on our end? What does it mean to glorify God? Well, it means to praise Him. It means to, 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 um, to, well, I think the, the shorter catechism has it right with question number one. Uh, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And, and what they did here that I think is so helpful is they tied this, this thing together. To enjoy God is to glorify God. And to glorify God is to enjoy God. They go hand in hand. See, we could, we can get the wrong idea sometimes whenever God says He's jealous over His glory or God's highest priority is His glory. But the greatest, the greatest gift that God could ever give to His people is Himself. And the greatest enjoyment that His people could ever have is in glorifying Him. That's just enjoying God for who He is. We've been brought into relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who says He is um, full of goodness and grace and He's long-suffering and He is... Um, all those things in Exodus uh, 34, 6, and 7, uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to be brought into relationship with Him. And it's a privilege to, to realize I've been brought into a special covenant relationship with Him. Okay? This isn't just some, this isn't just some uh, casual thing. And so we go, again, we, we look back to, um, we look back to Psalm 117. In Psalm 116, the psalmist asked the question, what shall I render to my God? What will I give him in return? And one of the things we talked about was just praise. Well, here's again, one of the things we get from Psalm 117 that, that ought to be clear in the hearts and minds of every Christian. God desires Praise. Okay. Simple statement. God desires praise. It's what He wants. It's what He enjoys. And it's what is right. I mean, it's our reasonable service, if we were to think about that from a Romans 12 thing, but it's, it's, it's what God enjoys. Because when His people are praising Him, and are lifting up His glory, then they're really seeing Him for who He is. So the psalm is, is split up into two verses. We'll think about this in two categories. Number one, think about it, um, the title would be A World of Praise. A World of Praise. And so from, from an Old Testament standpoint, for us to think about this, um, you know, one nation was not enough. The Jewish nation, that was, that was never God's full plan as far as revealing His glory and receiving praise from the world. And, and so when we read, Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations, praise Him, all ye people, this desire that God has to receive praise from His people and all nations and all people groups, 
when we get into the New Testament and we start to read passages like John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, we should be thinking about that in a Psalm 117 sense, not in a, you know this already, but there are are, uh, people who look at that as a general atonement. God died for every single individual in the world or, or Christ died for every single individual in the world. And that's not it. But what's the what's the positive replacement there? So sometimes we say out of John three sixteen, you know, well we know world doesn't mean every person. We can say a whole lot about what it doesn't mean. But what does it mean? Well, it means that God died indiscriminately. When we're thinking indiscriminate, I'm thinking nations, nationalities, for the world, His people that are in every nation, that out of every tongue, out of every kindred, out of every tribe. Really what this does and what it's meant to do in the psalm is to to lift up the glory of God. So think about this from 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verse 2. Or we could start with verse one. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. That is, he is the atonement, the satisfaction for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Or maybe the language from John chapter 4, verse 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. What's He talking about there? Why do He word it that way? What's being said? Well, here's the reality about the gospel of Jesus Christ that comes to us and is revealed and manifest in the New Testament and has been handed down to us. The gospel of Jesus Christ crosses cultural boundaries that exist in the world. And there is not a different plan of salvation for people in Siberia, Nicaragua, India, China, or anywhere else than there is for the people here in America. Or maybe we could say there was not a different plan of salvation for any other nationality in the world than there was for the Jews, if they were to think about it the way that, you know, if we're going to be with where they were in the text. Jesus is the only Savior of the world and the only propitiation for the world. It's just really another way of saying what is said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12b. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is, Jesus Christ is the singular Savior for all mankind. Now, again, you got to understand what's being said. Sometimes we can say that and it sounds like, well, are we talking about a free offer? No, we're talking about a clear statement. 
we're, we're speaking about Jesus Christ, again, as the only name under heaven whereby anyone can be saved. And so uh, when we look at what's going on in Psalm 117, uh, this is this is strange stuff for a Jew. All you got to do is read the, the, the Jew-Gentile stuff in the New Testament to figure that out. How would God receive praise for His loving kindness there or there or there or there? Well, it's because in God's plan of salvation, His plan was to unite all of His people from all kinds of different backgrounds under the banner of Jesus Christ. That's where we're united. It's... it's. Uh, I don't know if funny is the right word, but it's uh, interesting that this little two-verse psalm that seems insignificant is is uh, is a psalm that Paul would quote from in Romans chapter 15 as, as he makes the same point we've been making. Uh, so look in Romans chapter 15. Starting in verse 7, we're going to read through verse 11. Romans 15, starting in verse 7. He says, Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now, um, here he's talking about Jews receiving Gentiles, Gentiles receiving Jews. He's talking about unity among the body based on the the work of Christ. And as we keep reading, that becomes more clear. Now, I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. And as it is written, for this cause... I will confess, uh, I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again, he saith, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles and laud him, all ye people. And he goes on to give another quote, but verse 11 is a quote. It's, it's lifted from Psalm 117. So what's he saying here? Well, he's saying that that God is showing that His plan was always to bring Jew and Gentile together to save a people. For what reason? That He would receive glory. Not just in Jerusalem, but that He would receive glory from around the globe. Now, it could, it could be easy for us to to look at this and to hear what's being said and to think, okay, well, this is a good this is a good biblical lesson on the fact that the gospel has gone out from the Jews and it's into the Gentiles, but we're Gentiles, so we already knew that. And so, what's the point? Well, the the point is the reason God did that was for His glory. Now, here's the question: Are you giving Him glory? Do you come to Him with a heart of praise? Are you fulfilling the purpose for which you were created and for which you were saved? Which is what? To praise God, all you people. Praise His name. Bring Him glory. Now, think about, think about what we've been talking about in light of Habakkuk chapter 2.14. 
you, this is familiar, you'll, you'll recognize this. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Okay, now there is a sense which maybe that's pointing to the new heavens and the new earth, but there's also a real sense in which there is a at least a partial fulfillment of that verse as the gospel leaves the Jews and spreads throughout the globe. Okay, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Well, what happens when an individual is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? Well, they begin to praise. They, they begin to express thanksgiving. They begin to lift up His name. Now, let's go back to the psalm. So really the, the, the first verse we're looking at, trying to get a, trying to get a, an understanding here that, oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations, praise Him, all ye people. This is a call that goes out to the whole world, to the globe. It's a, it's almost a foretaste of this reality of the gospel that all nationalities, all tribes would come to Him through Christ. But then we get to verse 2. So praise Him for, or that is because, His merciful kindness is great toward us and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Uh, again, this is, the psalm is, is strange, but it's, it's strange in the sense that it really kind of pokes us in the chest a little bit. Okay, praise the Lord. Why? Because His merciful kindness is great and He's faithful. What else needs to be said? I mean, my goodness, this could have been the longest psalm in, 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 the, in Scripture, couldn't it? Why would we praise the Lord? Well, He gives us breath. He's, he sustained us physically. Uh, providentially, look what all He's done for us. He's done this, He's done that. Oh, bless the, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, forget not all of His benefits. He's loaded us down with benefits. We could, but that's not where the psalmist goes. Praise the Lord. Why? Well, I said this a minute ago, but really we have a, a parallel here with His merciful kindness is great toward us and the truth or faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. But we said part one or verse one is, is a world of praise. And then verse two is just a worthy God. He's worthy of your praise. Why would we praise God? Because of who He is. Because of what He's done. Because what He's given us that we do not deserve. So, number one, um, thinking about verse two, His covenant love and His enduring faithfulness cannot be separated. Those two go hand in hand. God is faithful to His covenant. Um, uh, and, and those two are together. But as we, we think about them, look what's being said. Because His merciful kindness or His loving kindness, His covenant love is great toward us. That is, God has showered us with His covenant love. 
It's not just that he's given us a little. He's given us more than we could possibly contain. Uh, if you were to think about how how could I how could I bottle up this? How could I how could I measure this covenant love? Well, how do you think about it? If God were to tell you that I'm going to pour out my covenant love and we're just being hypothetical here. You uh, you bring what you need to be able to catch it. What do you bring? You bring a thimble. You know, you you bring a a, a little cup. You bring a five gallon bucket, ten gallon trash can. What do you, what do you bring? Well, what's really being communicated here is when you think about God's covenant love and how it has been. Uh, how he has exercised that toward you, it's a tsunami that you couldn't get anywhere close to containing. Now, how does that relate to praise? Could it be that at times we lack a heart for praising God because we brought a thimble instead of recognizing we've been engulfed in this tsunami of his great love? Jesus says, that whoever's been forgiven much loves much, right? He's, he, he makes a little bit of a, of a, I say a little bit, he makes a distinction between whatever you think you've received is going to dictate what you, how you respond. Well, look in Ephesians chapter 2, we get similar language. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead and trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or our manner of life, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And I'm going to stop there. You know, you know the rest. You see the phrase here. So it starts out that you've been quickened who were dead. And then essentially Paul takes the next couple of verses to say, you know those people, those people that you, that you just, uh, uh, cringe when you think about, when we think about people in the world, when we think about the people who are the reason why our nation and our world are spiraling down into this immoral cesspool. You know the people you think about whenever you think about the fact that God's judgment is on our nation because we've been getting our our leaders and our people have been given over to these debased minds they can't reason. You know those people you think about the worst of the worst. He says that was you. That was you. You were the one leading the charge, or at least you were the one keeping step with them. You had the same conversation, manner of life that they did. But God, who is rich in mercy, 
for his, why is he rich in mercy? Because of his great love wherewith he loved us. This enormous amount of love that God had for his people moved him to be merciful, gracious, and unite us with Christ. Redeem us from our sins. Give us hope in a hopeless world. And allow us to anticipate the second coming of His Son and a time where we'll have face-to-face fellowship with God Almighty and enjoy His glory forever. Praise the Lord. Why? Because of His great love toward us in salvation. Praise the Lord. Why? Because of His enduring faithfulness toward us in providence. Now, we could have taken this in all kinds of different directions, but I want you to think about how, I want you to think about all the ways that God has providentially provided for you. All the ways. We live in a world, whether we think about it or not, and it's, it's, whether we like to think about it or not, we live in a world where almost every single factor, well, this is not an almost, where every single factor around you is completely outside of your control. You realize that. You are helpless. You can't control anything. And yet, we live as if we own it all. (laughs) And it was put there to serve us. Right? Well, think about the fact that All those things that are outside of your control are inside of God's control. And God has said in Romans 8.28 that He's making all those factors that are outside of your control work together for your good if you're His. Isn't that something? Now we're talking about millions and billions of factors. More than you could count. Why would God do that? Because of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Because He is committed to completing the work that He started in you. And and He's going to use the sanctifying um, work of the Word, the Spirit, and your circumstances to mold you into the image of Jesus Christ. But think about if God's faithfulness were to end today. All of the Romans 8.28 that have been going on in your life, all the factors that He had been working together for your good ended today. We are of all men most hopeless. Women too. But His faithfulness endures Okay, you can, you can bank on the fact that God isn't just faithful the day that He regenerates you and brings you to conversion. He's not just faithful for the first couple of years after, uh, you've begun to walk with Him. God's faithfulness endures forever. He is going to be with you. He is going to be providentially intervening on your behalf for your good and for His glory until the day that you die. The, the, really, the, the, the logical implication that, that Paul goes to in Romans is, is this reality that nothing, 
can separate you from the love of God. Well, he's worthy to be praised, isn't he? This God whose great love saved you when you blended in and looked just like the rest of the world that refused to glorify Him, but instead glorified that which was created and debased. And it's the same God whose enduring faithfulness will take you all the way through to the end, completing that which He's begun. And it's not just for you. It's for all of God's people all over the globe so that one day we will, as a whole, be assembled to glorify Him by praising Him forever. This is the prospect in Psalm 117. And so praise the Lord, all nations, all people, because of His great loving kindness toward you and because his faithfulness endures forever. It's a small psalm. It packs a pretty heavy punch when we stop to ask ourselves if this is what God wants and if this is the end goal to God's overall plan of redemption and this is what I'm going to be doing when I'm in heaven, am I doing it now? Or am I willfully or even neglectfully withholding praise from God for how good He has been to me. May God bless us to have hearts of praise and that we would be intentional about it. Let's pray. Uh, Father, You are uh, worthy to be praised. Lord, we acknowledge that. We know that. Uh, We know that just... uh, Uh, just by who you are, just your very nature, just the contrast of who you are compared to frail humanity, the fact that you uh, have created us. Uh, Lord, we are are bound to to glorify you as our creator. And yet we also have to confess that that we have uh, uh, competing gods in our own hearts. Uh, Lord, we we let things... um, distract us, squelch out uh, the the desire to praise. Uh, And so I pray, Lord, that You would give us hearts, that You would give us eyes to see uh, all the ways that You bless us, all the ways that this tsunami of Your covenant love just engulfs us every day, and that we would intentionally turn to You and praise You and glorify You because we know You enjoy Your people glorifying You and enjoying Your blessings that You give us. Father, I pray that we would be stirred to do that tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen.